So good morning, Eastside family. I certainly want to welcome you here today as well. And before we get started into the lesson today, I want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship assembly, and that is the offering that we bring every Sunday, and we've made it possible for you to to give your offering in four different ways. You can mail a check to the church address, you can give an automatic draft through your bank, you can go online to our website where it says um, eastsidesprings.com, and there's a little box that... uh, says give, it's quite simple, follow those directions. Or if you're here in person, you can drop your offering off back there in the box on the way out. And if you're not here in person, we are so glad to have you here wherever you may be in this city, in this nation, and some of you even in this world. We are, we are truly honored that, that you're with us today and you're just as much a part of our fellowship. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Micah chapter 6. We're going to be looking again at verse 8. And I want to mention to you, um, there's some exciting things happening back there. Uh, our, we have a wonderful ministry called Yarn for Yahweh and they have... If it's yarn knitted, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. They have knitted, made a lot of nice fancy things back there. And uh, there's a, I think she said a raffle or something. It's almost silent auction for a really nice blanket, I guess it would be. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot what she told me. But go back there, (laughs) purchase something. Do the silent auction. If you do, that money is going to go towards one of the ministries of our church. It's, it's fantastic. And then, I, I love it. When I go see somebody in the hospital, I'll say, where'd you get that blanket? Oh, the women from Yarn for Yahweh gave it to me. Don't you just love that? Or you have a new baby, you get one of those blankets. Or you're going through a hard time. And so, that's a, that's a special thing. And so, before we jump into our text, Addie Leonard has another video presentation for us. Let's take a look. And let's... We can hear it. What would you like for Christmas? A million dollars. Hey, Kindy, what would you like for Christmas? I would like... Oh, is this on? No, it doesn't need to be on. It's, it's fake. It's a prop. Keep going, keep going. Okay. It's a prop. I would like... Squishmallows. No, rocks and crystals. Not because I worship them, because I think they're pretty. That's all. What would you like for Christmas? Okay, go back World peace. <laughs> anything physical? Um, I don't need anything. I've got everything I need. Time for Christmas. Um, uh, Santa doll. A Santa doll? Uh-huh. Really? For real. For real? Yes. I wanted to walk and I wanted to dance. Tons of family time. Yes. Eliana, what do you want for Christmas? So it's really important, okay, to tell people what you want for Christmas. Because we were talking about this last week. Nothing's worse or more awkward than getting a present you don't want. And then you got two problems. First of all, you got to lie. You go, oh, this is great, I love it. And then the other problem is you got to figure out, well, what do you do with the gift? What, what do you do with unwanted Christmas gifts? Well, do you throw them away? And I mean, that's kind of awkward. I, w- I, I couldn't do that. Do you take it back to the store? Or maybe if you have a, 
a receipt or maybe do you re-gift it to someone and you got to be careful when you do that because if you re-gift it and you forget who gave it to you and you give it back to the person who gave it to you they're going to say I gave this to you last year oh yes yes I liked it so much I wanted you to have one too or or Maybe you'll give it to someone and then that person that gave it to you originally sees that and you just gotta, you gotta be sure and cover your tracks. Or do you just take it, put it in your attic or your basement? I really wonder how many of us have how many unwanted Christmas gifts stored away and then the person that gave it to you when they come over you go down the basement and you put it out so they can see it and don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about how many how many presents do we have stored away in the basement this is a Christmas present that I've had stored away in my basement for 20 years I was calculating it for at least 20 years. Let me ask you something. Why in the world would you ever give anyone a hat like this? Where and when would you wear it? I mean, like, I thought, well, if I'm going to be Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett in a play, maybe then. And you're going, Eddie, how rude. Somebody gave you a gift, you're making fun of it. No, here's the story behind this hat. This is a present I gave to my dad. He's watching. I gave it to my dad like 20 years ago. I was living as a missionary in the Czech Republic. One of the Christians in our church was a furrier. And so I thought, well, um, I found out about what he does. And I ordered him a hat just like this because I just knew he would love it. <laughs> Wouldn't you? And so you're thinking, uh, wait a minute, Eddie. If you gave this hat to your dad, then why do you have it right now? Because the day I gave it to him is the day he gave it back to me on Christmas Day. So there's another thing you can do with your presents that you don't want. You can say, oh, I love this so much. I want you to have it. And before you, you start getting too hard on my dad, who of you would like this and would want to wear it? <laughs> Some of you guys. Bill's got one, actually, don't you? But on the other hand, what's not to like about this? Because I want to show you, you can wear the hat like this, or watch what you can do with it. You can flip it around, and you're ready to, to dance to Russian folk music. <laughs> and no, I'm not wearing it for the rest of the sermon, all right? My dad is kind of like Don on the video. I was looking for you doing the video. I don't know where Don is sitting, but... He said, I don't need anything. I have everything I need. My dad is one of those hard-to-buy Christmas presents for. He has everything he needs. He has everything he wants. And so it's really complicated. And speaking of one who has everything, that's what we're looking at in, in this sermon series. What is it? This is our question this, this Advent season. What is it that God wants from you? For Christmas? I think that's a fair question, isn't it? Because, I mean, isn't this a Christian holiday? Isn't this all about celebrating the gift of God's Son that was given to us? And therefore, shouldn't we be really wondering, what is it to God that's important about Christmas? What is it to God that He wants from us, from you, this Christmas season? 
And so what we've been doing is we, we are letting the book of the prophet Micah and his book of prophecy answer that question for us. And we kind of went into Micah last week as we saw Micah is the prophet who set the stage for the Christmas story. That's why I picked Micah. He's the one that foretold the coming of Jesus Christ actually in the city of Bethlehem. And it's here in the larger context of this prophecy that, that we find the answer to the question, not only what is it God wants from us, but we find the answer to the question, we, we find that he even gives us a list of what he wants. So he makes it really easy. In chapter 6, the context is that the people of God are going, well, what should we give God? What kind of offerings, can gifts could we bring to God? And he would just really love. And so in the middle of that conversation, Micah, God through Micah stops the, stops the people's conversation. He says, no, 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 all this religious stuff that, that you want to give to me or these gifts, ritualistic religious gifts that you're bringing, they're nice. But you know what I would really like? Chapter 6 and verse 8, he has told you, O mortal, or O man, depending on translation, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? God has told us what he wants for Christmas, and he's given us a list. There's three things. To do justice, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he wants. And when you, when you really dig into the history of the people during the days of Micah, you, you understand, oh, these weren't just random things that God thought up. These were three things that were missing in the nation of God's people. It was missing in their lives, and it was at the root of all of their problems. That's why God said, this is what I want. And honestly, if you take a look at our contemporary culture, I think you discover these are three things that are dreadfully missing in our nation, and in the lives of so many people in our country as well. And it's the absence of these three things that are really at the root of a lot of our problems as individuals and as a nation. So what we're doing, instead of going, which I might have preferred to do, but just don't have time to, instead of going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through Micah, I want to encourage you to do that on your own. Read through Micah during, during the month of December, since that's what we're studying. Or in your life groups, I've assigned that too as an option for you to read through Micah and, um, and, and to talk about the, the different things you see chapter by chapter. But what we're doing in every Sunday in December, with the exception of one, or at least in the remaining Sundays in December, we're going to look at each of these three gifts that God not only is asking of us, but requires of us. Justice, mercy, and humility. And our goal is to seek to determine what does it mean for us and how do we offer these gifts this month and for the rest of our lives in this Advent season? So today, we're going to look at gift number one. We're going to spend the remainder of our time looking at the gift he desires of justice. Now, if you have been paying attention to the news nationally, you've probably discovered that there are a couple of conflicts and problems in our nation, racial issues, political issues, issues related to same-sex marriage, all this controversy over transgender matters, a lot of concerns about 
the border and the people that are coming across our border. A lot of discussion about our economy. A lot of discussion about poverty. A lot of discussion about the economy. A lot of discussion about crime. And in the middle of all of these conversations, you hear a lot of cries for justice. We're seeing a lot of protest with big signs crying out for social justice, indicating that perhaps this is something that is missing among us and something that is needed. And the go-to verse in all of these social justice, justice discussions and, and cries is this very passage here in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. But my question is, do those who cry out for social justice and use this verse as their proof text, do they even know what it means? Do I? Do you? Evidently, the people in Micah's day really didn't. And I get the impression that to a large degree, we don't understand its meaning either. So it makes good sense for us to go back to Scripture and try to figure that out. Because from my observation, too often this verse and the cries for social justice, for example, for the purpose of quenching the fires of racism in our nation, it seems as though these efforts towards social justice have done just the opposite and have fueled those fires to a greater degree. It seems to me that the cries for social justice for the purpose of elevating min minorities in our nation have done a lot to, to demean people's dignity. And as we, as I believe, have witnessed in our nation, these cries for social justice, they have empowered and validated some to violent acts of injustice in the name of protest and retaliation against justice, fighting injustice with injustice. I had one person, we were talking about this, and he described it as victimization for vengeance. So we may disagree over the meaning of justice. That may happen. And while we may misuse the term for our own agendas, whether they be good or bad, listen, there is no denying the fact that God desires justice, whatever it is, among his people. Micah makes that very clear. As a matter of fact, read your Bibles and look for that. It's from beginning to end. Psalm 89 and verse 14, we read, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Do you hear that? Justice is the foundation of who God is. Living and acting justice, justly, is simply living out the image of God. And notice here that we see in this verse, you'll see it many times, wherever justice is identified, righteousness is often side by side. And I'm thinking those, are to, those almost likely should be or probably are synonymous righteousness is another definition for justice righteousness being doing and judging and acting in ways that are right and not in ways that are wrong I think it's interesting I told you last week that that Micah lived in Morasheth which was about 25 miles south of Jerusalem well, a neighbor of his in the town of Tekoa was Amos he was another one of these advocates for justice but man, Micah was tough. 
In chapter 5, in, in verse 21 through 24, he's speaking on God's behalf, and he tells the people, I'll just summarize it first. He says, I hate, speaking on behalf of God, I hate your church services. Read it. I despise your religious gatherings. I don't want these offerings. I don't want these gifts. Stop this worship, which is nothing to me. And then I quote, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Do you hear this? Church-going people, not living justly, whatever that means, that is abhorrible to God. We need to figure this out because to God, this is a big deal and it is a dominant theme threaded throughout the Bible and I would suggest it's at the very heart of the gospel. I don't have enough time. I was overwhelmed as I began to look at verses on justice in the Bible. Don't have time to cover them. You can do a Bible search and, and read all of them yourselves. I picked out a few that will help give us um, a working definition, a biblical definition for justice. Let's go through them quickly. Jeremiah, and these I've given to you in your life groups to dig through further if you'd like to. Jeremiah 22, 3 through 5, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Nor shed innocent blood in this place. Sorry, I got lost. Proverbs 31, verses 8 through 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let no, none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. Okay, so those are a few verses. And if I were to simplify from them, a working definition of justice is basically this. Two things. Not harming, but helping. Doing what is right and good for others, and especially for those that have been wronged. Caring for their needs. It means to stand up for and be a voice for them. Not harming others, but helping those who have been harmed. That's justice. And in all of these cases, almost all of them in the Bible, the primary target, I would say all of them, the primary target are the destitute, the less fortunate, and those that can't help themselves. So that's basically what it means. Now, the question is, well, why should we be compelled to do that? Why can't the government cover justice? Why can't God do that. I got three answers for you. I'm sure that there, there's more than three, but let me cover three of them. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 18 through 19, we read of God, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves a sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Now listen to this, verse 19. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Why should we act justly? We act justly to others because God has acted justly towards us. We're basically just paying it forward. 
Why should we act justly? Number two, Psalm 46, verses 7 through 9. This is speaking of God, and I'm jumping in the middle of, of, of his conversation. He says, God who executes justice for the oppressed. This is all God's actions. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Why do we act justly? We act justly towards others because that's just what God does. And we are his people and we reflect God to our world by our acts of justice. Number three, why should we act justly? Notice Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Why should we act justly? Let me borrow the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, which echo these very words. Because the, what you do for the least of these is what you do for him. And what you don't do for the least of these is a slap in the face to God. It is an insult. He takes it personally. That's why. So then we go back to Micah, and I'm saying, well, how are the people in Micah's day acting in, in ways that were not just? And I begin to read through Micah, and you see... God wasn't just randomly asking for this. This was missing among the people. Now, I don't have time to read all these verses. I'm just going to touch on and move through this quickly. But we see in chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, that Micah speaks of these people of the powerful and how they were taking advantage of those without power. They were coveting. They were seizing possessions. They were seizing homes. They were oppressing others. They were taking advantage of the weak and the poor. In chapter 2 in verses 8 and 9, they were stripping others of their clothing. They were driving women and children from their homes. And we read in chapter 3 in verses 9 and 11 that it says their leaders detested. It's not that they neglected injustice. They detested. It's not that they neglected justice. They detested it. Micah says they make crooked all that is straight. Their leaders were corrupt. Their people were corrupt. That which was right was whatever was driven by greed and by the desire for money. Money, there was bribery and the craziness of it, it was in their church. It was the prophets and the priests who were involved in this. He says in chapter 6, he speaks of the rich who were carrying out deceitful practices. They were hurting the less fortunate with wicked scales, he speaks of, and deceitful weights. And he says, you rich men are full of violence and you speak lies. And he describes them like animals of prey, lying in wait for blood, each haunts the other with a net. And look, this was the church-going people. Not the Canaanites, the pagans of their land. He's speaking about the church-going people of Micah's day. And God is seeing all this. And God is thinking. And he says through Micah, seriously, you think that you can live like this and you can treat others in this way. And you come to church with your gifts for me. And I'm supposed to go, oh, I love it. What I've always wanted. Absolutely not. I've told you what I want. 
O man, and what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Church, that's what God wants. Now let's grab Christmas and put it in there because how's this got anything to do with the Christmas message? Here in the middle of Micah's message, calling people to live justly, he gives this Christmas prophecy in chapter 5 and verse 2 of the coming of Jesus. Why? Well, there's many reasons, but one of them is this. You want to know? You want to know what it looks like to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly? Look at the one who was born in Bethlehem. Justice, mercy, and humility have a name. And that name is Jesus. Jesus, church, he is the epitome and the embodiment of justice. Read his life story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As Micah prophesied, he was born in Bethlehem. Not in a beautiful big city of Rome. He was born in a feeding trough for animals. To poor parents who lived on the margins of society. He lived as an adult with no home to call his own. And he came for and devoted his life to those in the margins. To the blind, to the lame, to the poor, to the crippled, to the widow, to the orphan, to the sick, to the helpless, to the hurting, to the destitute. That was the focus. Those were the people for whom he came. And we have to remember, we are those people. And his greatest act of justice was achieved on the cross. Jesus sacrificially laid down his life, placing, taking our place in death, which was our just punishment. He took it. God's justice. You want to look at justice. Look at Jesus on the cross. Justice was achieved by Jesus taking what we deserved. Justice and mercy merged perfectly in this act by Jesus Christ. You want justice in the world. Accept the justice he achieved for you. By surrendering your life and your will to him as your Lord and Savior. And then live the rest of your life doing for others. What he has done for you. It's really not complicated. To act justly. It means to follow Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, let's, let's do the inverse of this. If we were to define justice by its antonym, we could say it like this. Injustice, two things. Injustice isn't simply what you're doing, meaning the bad stuff. Injustice isn't simply what you're doing, but it can also be what you're not doing. So, if you are hurting and harming others and treating them unjustly, then stop. But I'm guessing that's not the category most of us fall into. I think the question for me more so, and for you and for us, am I living out the image of God in this way? 
in helping others who are destitute and in need to those in the margins of society? What can I do in my life to promote justice in our world and in our nation? Maybe post comments on Facebook about it. That happens a lot. Is that changing things? Will it? Maybe should we go to a public place and have a big protest with large signs fighting for social justice? Would that make a difference? Maybe. Should we perhaps with voting for candidates who, who take a stand for true justice? Would that help? Let me just tell you where my mind went for this. It, I felt overwhelmed. When I consider the staggering numbers of the millions, I, I, I really should say the billions of people in our world in poverty. How many, it burdens me to think of how many young people are being trafficked in this city, in this state, in this nation. How many in our world are hungry, lonely, the millions, billions who are hurting, who are being harmed, who are neglected, who right now as we are comfortable are living in war zones. Right now as our children got up and had a wonderful breakfast and put on beautiful clothes, there are children who are being abused and are being neglected. There's multitudes of innocent children in our nation who are being killed. In our city, the painful shootings that we recently experienced and I'm seeing all that and I'm just feeling so inadequate so overwhelmed to think that I can make a difference at all so what can I do look you cannot I cannot perhaps change our world and make a difference in our nation overnight but you know what you can do this Christmas season you can make a difference in one person's life. And if every single one of us did that, how many people would that be? So really, I'm not just saying this. This is a nice way to close a sermon, isn't it? No, I mean this as let's do this as an assignment for the Advent series. Here's, the, here's your assignment. I want to challenge you this month. Take this seriously to find one person Ask God, God, lead me to that person, someone that you can help and bless. And I'm asking in a very sacrificial way. Give a gift to someone that's not just like you. Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's someone here in our church. Maybe it's someone in your neighborhood. Maybe it's someone that's living in a shelter. There's a lot of those people. Maybe it's someone in prison. Maybe it's someone in a nursing home, an immigrant family, a foreigner, a single mom. Maybe it's a widow or a widower. Maybe it's a child in need. Maybe it's someone living in poverty. Maybe it's a preacher who can't even afford a razor. <laughs> That was a joke. <laughs> if you come, what is it? Friday night, you'll see why I'm growing this beard. Um, find a person, listen to this. Find a person that is so different than you that they might even be surprised that you are giving them the gift. What is it that God wants for Christmas from you? He's told us for you to do for another what God has done for you. That's what it means to do justice in church. That's at the heart 
of what Christmas is truly meant to be is Micah is drawing our attention to the one who was born in Bethlehem. I'm finished. But the sermon isn't over. It's really up to you now to finish this sermon by putting into living action. What is it that God wants for Christmas from you? Let's just ask Him. Would you stand and we'll pray. Father, it's absolutely amazing. I'm not calculating really well, but I'm guessing this is more than 2,700 years ago you spoke these words to Micah and they speak so much with relevance into our hearts and lives today. God, open our eyes and our hearts to come to some degree, I don't know if we can fully grasp what you have done for us in the way that in our destitution, our hopelessness and helplessness, the way that you reached out and have cared for us. And show us how we can pay that forward this week, next week, and in the weeks to come, this month, and for the rest of our lives. Father, in this quiet moment, even now, tell us, who, who is that person that we can give to this Christmas? This month, this week, lead us to them and show us what we can do that we might reflect you to the world and the true meaning of Christmas may be revealed through us bearing the image of Jesus to others. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.